All right. We're going to jump right in. We are going to start a brand new series this week. Uh, it's going to be going on for the next couple of weeks, and I'm very excited about it. The name of the series is called, But What If I Fail? But what if I fail? And as to start this out, I want to tell you a story um, about me, because you guys seem to enjoy those every once in a while. But when I was about, uh, no, some of you know this, some of you don't, I was about nine years old, and um, I ate, breathed, slept in every way, shape, and form baseball. Uh, you know, you ask my son now, he wants to be, when he grows up, he wants to be all these things that are more practical. I wanted to be a professional baseball player. That was the dream. That was the goal. I would sit there and work on it and play and all those things. And I was about nine years old. And so I, I was in a league and, and we were in the championship game of this league. And I was, it, it was a great team and it was a lot of fun. And basically we came up, it was, it was the, the, the last inning and we were down by, by one run. And guess who's at the plate? Oh, yeah. And I'm walking up there, and it's two outs, bottom of the seventh, because you didn't play nine innings at that age, bottom of the seventh, everything was, was on the line, and I was up. And I walked up there, and I got ready to hit, and a couple pitches went by, and strikes and balls, and all that stuff. And then here comes the pitch, and I swung. Crack. Well, it's not crack, because, you know, you had the metal bats. So, so. hate that sound, hit it, and I just took off, I'm running towards first base, and I literally hear, and I'm, I'm, I'm nine, okay, I literally hear from the crowd, and I'm like, what, did something happen, and I turn, and I look, and the ball is going, I'm right-handed, so the ball is headed towards left field, and it's rising, and I'm watching it, and there's one big problem. It's slowly hooking, slowly hooking, and I'm watching it, and it went foul by about two feet. Now, you got to remember, I was nine. Now, if you ever played ball, depending on where you played and how you played, the field we were on to left field down the line was like 225 feet for a nine-year-old. The reason why they went, because to get a home run, usually what would happen at this age, you hit the ball, the ball would go in between the legs of the shortstop, then behind the left fielder, and you just ran around the bases. To hit it out of the park was something you didn't see very often. And I hit it out of the park, just foul. Would have won the championship. And I walked back, just devastated. Like, I can't believe I hit the ball that far. And so I get into the play, and then I do something that you never do when you try to hit. I'm thinking about trying to hit another home run. And I'm waiting. I'm like, oh, boy, I'm going to do it. 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 What I forgot was that foul ball was strike two. And here came the pitch. Strike three. Started the ball. Started crying. I mean, just devastating. I, I, have you ever had that happen in your life where you were so close to being the hero? You were so close to having ever. I mean, I was just picturing in my mind the nine-year-old me, the nine-year-old me running around the bases, cheering, doing the, doing the, doing the, doing the, the whole team crowd. I'm going to tell my dad and my mom are going to be sitting there, tears in their eyes. My, my dad, that's my boy. Mama! You know, I probably would have got signed at that particular moment. I'd been the first nine-year-old signed to the major leagues. I mean, it's going to be awesome. And instead, I failed. 
in front of everybody, at the most important moment, I failed. And I never forgot. I never forgot. You know, in life, we're going to fail. In life, there's going to be times where things happen that aren't going to be pleasant. And they're not going to be fun. And I had to make a decision at that point. Am I ever going to play ball again? Am I ever going to take that chance again? Because I failed in front of everybody. I had a choice to make. Will I play again? In 1 Samuel 17, we see a very interesting story that lots of you know. But we're going to look at this story together and kind of look at this idea of, but what if I fail? Let's pray, though. Father, we love you and I need you. Father, will you help me right now just to share the words and the things and the concepts and the ideas that you've placed on my heart? Father, I pray that you would open all of our hearts to hear what you want to say on this day. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel 17, it says this, The Philistines now mustered their army for battle, and Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on the opposite hills with the valley between them. Okay, now, I kind of want you to see this. This, this is that valley, okay? Um, I found this picture online, of course, and you know, that's where you find everything in the world. And it's a little hard to see, but I think you can kind of get an idea here. This is the actual valley of Elah, and basically there is a dry creek bed that does fill in when it rains. Uh, that's obviously the, the, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but basically, you have a couple things here. You see if Saul's camp over to the left, my, uh, your left, and then also you see the Philistines camp right there, and there was a valley in between. This is the Valley of Ella, as you can see it today. There are some buildings there, kind of forget about those. But basically, that's the area where they came. So they would come, they gathered for battle, And they came together, and so basically this is where they're at, and so we're going to continue now with our scripture to kind of continue on. It says, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the foes of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Now, this is a big guy, okay? Now, some people, I've, I've heard this, they've said, oh, no, look, this isn't a real story. Goliath couldn't be that big and so on and so forth. I want to introduce you to what is on record as the tallest man that has ever lived. This is Robert Waldlow. He was 8 feet 11 inches tall. He's big. He's about Goliath's size. And this is him. Now, I kind of put down a couple things. His feet, check this out. His feet were 18.5 inches long. You think you have big feet. His hands, from the tip of his middle finger to his wrist, were 12.7 inches. Okay? So I put this up here because I wanted you to kind of get an idea of Goliath. Now, I wish I was able to look. I don't know how tall the girls are. Okay, but just for the sake of illustration, I'm going to say, because David was about a teenager at this time, I'm going to say David was about as tall as the girl in the blue dress. I want to give you a visual here to see this. So you got Goliath. Now, I don't think Goliath wore glasses, but you get what I'm saying here, okay? Or a suit. You get the point. Anyway, 
So that's what we're looking at. So Goliath comes out, and let's continue on, and he begins to see this. So Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. Now, let me kind of explain to you kind of what's happening. But basically, at this time, sometimes what armies would do is they would pull out champions from each side, and basically they would have those individuals fight. The winner of those fight, that, that certain fight then would be the victor and the other team, if this makes sense, the other army, would then serve that army. Basically, they would do this. Now, one of the reasons they would do this, and it's important that you catch this, is that they would basically think, and this is what they would think, basically, whoever's God was strongest, that champion would win. Why kill everybody when the same thing's going to happen? So we'll have one champion who represents basically that God and another champion who represents his God and whoever is the strongest God, that's who's going to win, not necessarily the strongest man. Okay? So you have to understand a little bit deeper here what's happening. So he's basically calling out and saying, fight me and send me a man who will fight. He says, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. They were paralyzed in fear. And that's where we're going to start out today. And it's this. It says, the fear of failure can paralyze us. The fear of failure can paralyze us. Now, you have to remember here, okay? You've got to remember what the Israelites and the Philistines are thinking. They're not always just sitting there going to themselves, I can do this. I am stronger. The reason why they would have these champions fight was because they would say, whoever's God is stronger, And so they're sitting there, and this big nine-foot behemoth comes out and basically says, come and fight me. Look at it says in in, in chapter uh, 17, and we're going to jump a little bit here, uh, as you can see on the screen. It says, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. And now let's jump to 22 and 25. David left his things. Now this is, let me stop here. Let me kind of give you an idea. David's brothers are at the fight and David's dad asks, hey, can you bring some supplies to your brothers? Check on them. And so basically David does that. So now he is at the army's site. And so he leaves those things that his dad asked to bring with the keeper of the supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Goth, came out of the Philistines' rank. Then David heard him shout his usual taunts to the army of Israel. Okay, so let's talk about what's happening here. we got to know the story, but let's kind of get into it. So Goliath comes out twice a day. So 80 times, basically, he's come out and challenged them to come and fight. And what has the Israelite army done? They've frozen they heard the taunts. They've heard the stuff. And they've done nothing. It's basically like this. Go back to the baseball analogy. It's basically like the umpire saying, come on, son. It's time for you to hit. And the person running back into the dugout and says, no, 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 no. I might fail. I might not be able to do it. I might lose. You know what's interesting? I've noticed this about Christians. I've been one for a little while and I've known quite a few. We tend to do this, okay? Now hear me here because you need to understand what I'm getting at. We tend to spiritualize things that God is asking us to do, and we spiritualize why we shouldn't. Let me give you an example. 
We have people that will say, God is saying, I want you to do this. I'm asking you to do this. And because we're paralyzed in our fear of failure, we won't do it. And when God says, why haven't you done what I've asked you to do? We'll say things like this. Well, you know, God, there's so many people here in this world that are so concerned about Christians being hypocrites. And I don't want to do something and fail because then they'll be able to look at me and say, oh, well, look at the Christian hypocrite. Or, or I, well, well, listen, what if I fail? God, if I don't do this, then there are going to be people that are going to be even more hurt. There's going to be people that are even more in trouble. I bet you anything. There were guys that were there at the army, and they were sitting there, and they were thinking to themselves, I should go, and I should go and fight. And they talked themselves out of it. Why? Not even for themselves, because if they lose, they're dead. Who cares? But they're thinking, oh, but what about my family? They'll have to be slaves. What about my wife and my kids? They'll have to be slaves. I better not because what if I fail? And it paralyzes us. It gets us to that point where instead of moving forward, instead of going out and facing the giants that we need to face in our families and in our jobs and our communities, instead we huddle back, back at the camp, and we huddle together with each other, and we sit there and we shudder, and we go, oh, oh, but do you know all the horrible things? Oh, do you know all the things that are going on in our world, in our community? Hey, listen, you want to talk about where our church is as the church in general? I truly believe that the church in America has retreated back to camp and we're huddled around each other and we spend a lot of time bemoaning about our culture and about all the horrible things that we see when God is telling us, hey listen there's giants that gotta be slayed, it's time to stop being afraid and move forward and do what I've asked you to do but what if I fail what if I fail they're afraid and here comes David David, you have to understand this as we move on. David had a different mindset. David had a different mindset. Look at 1 Samuel 17. We're going to be in this. All this. It says this. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, this is being Goliath, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked, and now they're talking to David. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. And I love this. I mean, you want to talk about how world, the world is not all that much different, okay? And the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Hallelujah. Think about that. He's, he's good. No taxes. I don't know. I, I'll just be honest. I would do some crazy things. For not having to pay taxes ever again. I'm just, you know, just saying. Okay, so, so this is what's happening. Okay, let's jump on down to the next one. Uh, it says, 1 Samuel 17, 26b. It says this, David has a different mindset. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to, devi- to, to defy the armies of the living God? Okay, now let's jump on to 45 and 47. Okay, now I've jumped ahead. That's all right, guys. Don't worry about it. Okay, it says this, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, with spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the army of Israel, who you have defiled. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. You know, I'll just be honest with you. I've heard this story a lot. And when I was a kid, they left the cutting of the head part off. I think that would have made the story much more enjoyable for me at eight years old. I'm just going to go there. I was a weird kid. Okay? And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know 
that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. David had a different mindset. David understood something very important that the men in his camp failed to understand. And it's quite simply this. The Lord is the one that's going to do this. The Lord is the one that is strong. Listen, you know what we're going to do if, we don't, if we're not careful? We're going to turn into those guys that hang out the camp, and we're going to sit there and go, but the, the, the army's too big. The giant's too big. The army's... Listen, it's not about, and we're going to talk about this later, it's not about what you have. It's about who's behind you and who's with you and who's going to help you. On your own, listen, on your own, you are right. You're going to fail. Or maybe you'll do it, but not to the extent that God wants you to do it. But David didn't see it that way. David understood who was going to take out this giant. Was he going to be a part of it? Absolutely. Did he want to be a part of it? Absolutely. But what he wanted most of all, what he understood most of all, it was that God was going to come and God was going to work through him and God was going to do that. And that's important. Next, let's move on to number three. Be ready for opposition. When you deal with this, when you step out, be ready for the opposition that will come. And you need to understand this. There's going to be, you need to expect opposition from the, first of all, the likely sources. Okay, look at 1 Samuel 17, 41 through 47. 44, it says this. Goliath walked out toward David and his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this rudy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll give you the flesh to the, uh, your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath. Yeah, listen. Hey, you need to understand something. This, you're going to face opposition. The enemy is not going to just sit by as you walk out to make some headway for the kingdom of God and just sit there and go, sweet, do what you want to do. I'm just going to hang out here and just watch. The enemy is like a roaring lion walking around seeing who he may devour. This is, this is a battle, folks. And the enemy, you need to know that. The enemy is not going to set back and set by and let you take back territory that he has stolen. He's not. But it's amazing how times, I'll talk to Christians who are in the midst of something and they're like, they're blown away. It's like, do you know I'm actually facing some opposition from the enemy? And I just want to sit there and go, really? No. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the flesh jerky part of me. On the outside, the pastor's like, oh, really? Yeah, tell me about it. You know, let's talk about this. This is obvious, and you need to understand that. But really what I want to focus in on today is more than just that. I want to focus on is we need to expect opposition from unlikely sources. Because this can be devastating. This can be devastating. Look at this in First Samuel. It says, but David's oldest brother, Elab, heard David talking to the men. He was angry. So David comes and he's asking them all this stuff, like what's going to happen and how's this all going to work and, and what do I get if I kill this giant, all this sort of stuff. And this is what he says. He says, what are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those, man, what? If you don't know what this is, okay? Shepherds were not high on the totem pole, okay? This was a very lowly thing. And so his brother, man, he takes a jab at him. And he says, what about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. Listen, you need to understand something. And I hate to say this, and I hate this is true. But listen, when you step out and you begin to dream and you begin to allow God to use you to make a difference for the kingdom, you're going to find some opposition from very unlikely sources. And it's sad, and it breaks my heart to say it, but I want you to be aware, and I want you to know what's going on. This is his own brother. 
His own brother is insulting him. His own brother is basically saying, what are you doing? You're, you, listen, he basically says, you don't care about the situation. All you care about is yourself. Now listen to me and hear me here. Because you know me. I want you to be prepared for what's coming. When you step out and you begin to fight those giants in your family and in this community and in this church and in, in your home and in these things, you are going to find some opposition from some very unlikely people. And let me explain to you why. They're angry and they're jealous and they're upset because they're doing what you are doing, what they are afraid to do themselves. I want you to think about this. 80 times his brother heard those taunts. 80 times he had the opportunity to say, I'll go, I'll fight, I'll make a difference, I'll change everything, I'll do it. And for 80 times, he sat there and did nothing. Now listen, I've been a guy my whole life, and I understand how guys think, and I understand how this is going to work, and you've got to trust me, and this is what was happening. 80 times, I guarantee you, David's brother was sitting there, and he was thinking to himself, I could go and I could do it. He's playing it over in his mind. He's seeing it all going out, that he would be the one. He's going to stand up, and he's going to go, I'll go, I'll fight, I'll be the man. And he walks out there, and he's picturing all this. Goliath sitting there, and he's trembling in his boots. Oh my goodness, oh, David's brother is here, and he comes up and he goes, and the guy goes, ah, and then he runs after him with a sword, and and the guy falls, and then here comes Saul's daughter, oh, I love you, and he's like, hey, no more taxes, and everything's great, and he gets a parade, I guarantee you he's thinking it, and every single guy was, because that's what guys do, they're imagining it, I want to be the hero, and for 80 times, he cowered. 80 times he sat there and dreamed about God using him, dreamed about all this amazing things, and 80 times he didn't do anything. And here comes his little snotty-nosed brother, and he walks up, and he goes, I'll do it. And instead of encouraging, instead of saying, I'll be there, instead of saying, no, 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 David, you stay, I'll fight, he gets on to David. He ridicules him. Hey, listen, can, can, can we have a heart-to-heart here for a second? Because I'm not stupid, and I understand how this works, okay? Now, I would love if everybody in this audience, or audience, everybody in this church would take this to heart and begin to move in this direction. Because I truly believe every individual has giants in their lives, in their circle of friends, in their, their world, that God wants to use you to take out, okay? I believe that, strongly. But if you are cowering in fear, could you do me a favor? Please, don't criticize those that are stepping out and dreaming. Okay? I remember I had a friend in high school who was an amazing trombone player. Absolutely incredible. I don't know if this is good or not because I never played the trombone, but he played the marriage of Figaro on a trombone. I I don't know how he did it. I remember sitting there watching him and his... I mean, just, just... It was amazing. And we were at this state competition, and he was winning the entire thing, and it was unbelievable. And we sat there, and, and he would do it. And, 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 and then afterwards, we, we kind of sat there in the room, and somebody else came behind him. And this guy wasn't very good, especially compared to this guy. And he was just, yeah, it wasn't great, okay? And I remember we all got up and walked out, and a group of me and my friends were making fun of the kid that didn't do so well. And this guy came up to me and us, angry. He said, what are you doing? 
He said, well, you, you, didn't you hear him? He was horrible. He was bad. And he told me something I never forgot. He said, Aaron, don't be critical of those that have worked hard because you don't know how hard it is to do what we do. Never forgot it. And I realized, wow, you know, it's real easy to be the critic. It's real easy to be the guy that says, you can't do it. Hey, listen, sometimes God wants to use you to be that encouragement, to be that friend, to be that pat on the back, to be that you can do it. With God's help, we can do it. Listen, there's enough critics. We don't need any more. This world doesn't need any more. The church doesn't need any more. We need people that are not going to look at that. And you need to understand that sometimes when you begin to dream and you begin to move out and you begin to do these things, that people are not going to always pat you on the back and you need to be ready for it. You need to know what's coming. But you got to move anyway because they're scared to do what you are going to do. And the final one, this is important. God wants to use what's in your hands because that's all he Needs. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 38 and 40. This is what it says. Then, so, so let's, let's stop. Let's jump back. So, so David goes to Saul and says, I'll fight. I'll fight. Saul argues with him a little bit. David shows why he feels like he can do this. Mainly because of, of past experiences and because God is going to help him. And so Saul agrees. And that's where we pick up the story. It says, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. And let's jump on now to verse number 40. It says, I can't use these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Now, let's stop here for a second. Let's remember about Saul and David. We, know, we don't know for sure, but we think David was probably around the age of 13, 14, 15 years old when he fought Goliath. Okay, That's what most people uh, believe. We're not quite sure, obviously, but that's the age that we believe. Saul was a grown man. And more than just a grown man, Saul was known as a tall man. So Saul's a big guy. Okay, And so Saul comes up with this great idea. Hey, listen, if you're going to go fight now, now here's the thing we need to remember. This could be a whole other message, but we're not going there. You know the person that was supposed to be fighting Goliath? Saul. Saul. That was Saul's job. So Saul is also cowering in fear. Saul's also not doing what needs to be done, okay? But he goes to David, he says, I'll fight him. So Saul puts David in this armor. Now, I just, I've always pictured this as being hysterical to me. Because he just, you just put all this stuff on. He puts on the helmet he can't even see. You know, he's just, he's just like almost like one of those robots. You know, he's like... You know, David, can you get the sword out? No, you know, can't move my arms, you know. And David says, I can't use these. He uses the term, I'm not used to them, okay? He's never worn them before, okay? He doesn't know them. So, So David takes them off. And then what does David do? He picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them into his shepherd bag. Then, armed with only his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. What a cool picture. What's David go to the battle with? A sling and a stick. I love this. Goliath, we, we, we get a rundown of all Goliath's weapons. 
Did you catch something about this? And, and this is where my historical weird brain comes in. But you know that his, the tip of his spear was made of iron? Did you catch that? It was one of the reasons why the Philistines were so strong in battle, because they actually had iron tools at this time. Israelites didn't. Israelites were still in the Bronze Age. Philistines had iron tools, and they did a lot of protection to keep those things. So this is a big deal. So not only is David walking out with with primitive weapons, not only is David walking out with all this stuff that that is is a stick and a sling, but he's fighting someone who has basically the most high-tech weapons of the era. This guy is like David's walking out with, with with a pea shooter that shoots, you know, little BB guns, and this guy's got a machine gun. Okay, does that make sense? So not only is this a situation where David's walking out with nothing protection. I just, I, I don't know. I'm going to ask David. I, I, I want to believe so bad that David was just whistling as he was walking out there. He's got a stick and he's got a sling. He's just like. <whistles> That's just me. Okay. So he gets out there. He gets out there with what he has. Let me explain to you a trap that you need to be aware of when you begin to walk out to do what God's asked you to do. When you want to fight these giants, and this is a trap you need to be aware of, do not look at other people and their armor. God has given you all you need to take out your giant with his help. You understand? All you need. And here's something you need to understand, okay? Because a lot of times we look at this and we go, man, God, you just kind of sent him out there like a sheep to the wolf. Not necessarily. David had that sling. And we see in chapter 17 that he had killed lions and, 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 and bears. And he was adapted to this thing as a shepherd. And this was the shepherd's weapon. This was something that they used quite often to, to keep wild animals away from their flock and to protect them. And you need to understand something. There's been studies on the ballistics of a sling and a stone that's been taken and shot out by somebody that knows what they're doing. And the ballistics of it is about the same as a 45, uh, 45 millimeter handgun. Okay? There's actually a scripture in Judges, and I didn't put it up here, uh, but it literally says that some of the slingers in Israel were so good that they could hit a hair and not miss. David was ready. He was prepared. He had all he needed. There's been so many times in my life where I've gone through something that's hard and difficult, and I just go, God, why? God, why? I don't understand. And God says, don't know. Just trust me. There's a reason. And three, four, five, ten years down the road, I have somebody that comes and sits in my office that's going through the exact same thing. And I sit there and I go, listen, I can explain to you. I can share with you. Why? Because not because I have a secondhand knowledge of this, but because I have dealt with this myself. And God has that moment, and that person leaves. And I look up, and I go, God, okay, now I know why. Why did David have to kill the bear? Why did he have to kill the lion? Why? Because he was getting prepared to face his giants. He had everything he needed. Don't fall in the trap of looking to others. Don't say, well, I can't sing like them. I can't speak like them. I'm not friendly like them. I can't be used like that. Listen, God has given you everything you need. Everything you need. But so many times... We fall into that trap. We fall into that trap of going, I can't, I can't, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I can't, I don't have that talent, I don't have that gifting, I don't have that situation, I, 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 I don't do this, I don't do that. We, 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 we always look at others and God's saying, stop looking at others and stop, lo- start looking to me. Did you get that? 
Stop looking at others and start looking to me. Because there's one thing you need to understand, okay? God wants to give you dreams. God wants to give you a destiny. God wants you to be a warrior and go out and pick fights with the giants that God has placed in your life so that you can defeat them. But you need to understand something. You're walking out there prepared, yes, but you still got a sling and you still got a stick. What did David understand? David understood that although God had given him everything he needed, he still needed God. He didn't say, I will do this. He said, God will do this. Listen, I want you to get that. What is our job? What was David's job? To learn from his experiences and go to the battle and be willing to fight. Be willing to fight. Have a dream and be willing to go after it. But let me explain to you something about dreams and let me explain something to you about giants, okay? If your dreams don't require God, those dreams are probably not from God, okay? Do you understand that? Because God is not going to... What is a dream? A dream is something that's almost unattainable. Think about what a dream is. You don't call it something I could do on my own. It's a dream. What do you want to do? Oh, it's just something big. Nobody says, what's your dream? My dream for my life is to today, after church, to go get an ice cream cone. Hmm. No. Our dreams are big. They ought to be big. And dreams that come from God are not going to be dreams that you can do on your own. You're going to need him. And that's good. Because God dreams big for us. I like that. Whatever your dream is on your own, God wants it to be bigger. Because he wants you to need him. Because he deserves all the praise. He deserves all the glory. He wants those dreams to be big. But he wants you to understand that you can do it with his help. If the worship team wants to come back up, we're going to close. Let's go back to the beginning. I struck out. I struck out. I could have been the hero. I felt like Charlie Brown. You know what I mean? I felt like Charlie Brown when Lucy pulled the football out. And I landed on my back. And I cried and I hurt. I felt like I let everybody down. You see, what's interesting is this team, it was, it was nine, I think it was nine and ten-year-olds or eight or nine. Anyway, there was, there was kids that were older than me on my team. And man, I looked up to them. Tyler and Dave and Jeff. The fact that I still remember their names. They were on that team. Rob. And I so desperately wanted to be that guy that, that came and and, and was the hero and won it for the team. Because it was more than just me winning. It was our team that would win. And I failed. And I cried. It was the last game of the season. School was going to start soon. And I remember I went home. I sat on my bed all alone. And remember, I, I still do. I loved, love baseball. I spent all my time playing it and all, just really enjoyed it. And, and I just remember thinking, I don't know if I ever want to play this again. 
And you know what I literally thought? I thought, well, well, you know, maybe next time I can do better. And guess where the words of this message came from, of this series? But I literally thought to myself, but what if I... What if I fail? And it took me a little bit of time before I picked up a ball and a bat and a glove again. Because I was so afraid. And I had a friend of mine in school and he came up and this kind of give you an idea how long it took me before I was, you know, and he said, uh, so are you, you going to play ball? You know, and we were, and I just looked at him and I said, I don't know if I'm going to play anymore. And I mean, this guy's face was just like, what? What, what do you mean you're not going to play anymore? And I looked at him and I said, what if I mess up again? What if I fail? And this little eight-year-old kid, Rob, my best friend, looked at me and he said, Aaron, but you love to play. I said, but Rob, what if I fail? He said, but Aaron... You're good. I said, but it doesn't matter. What if I fail? And he looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, if you fail, you fail. If you fail, you fail. But please play. And that was the beginning of understanding that, you know what? Sometimes I was going to fail. Sometimes I wasn't going to reach the pinnacle of what I wanted to do or how I wanted to be. In my own Christian walk, there's been so many times where I failed. There's so many times where I've done the, the dumb thing and the hurtful thing and the terrible thing. And I had a choice in that moment. I could lay down in the dirt and say, you know what, Aaron, how could you? Why? What, what is wrong with you? And I could have just sat there and said, you know what? I'm not going to do, do this pastoring thing anymore. I'm going I'm to separate people away from me because I might hurt them. I'm, just, I'm not going to deal with this. I, I just don't want to deal with this. And I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to get on my little island and I'm going to hang out here. And, and I, just, I just, what if I fail? Listen. There are going to be moments in our lives because we're human and we're broken and God is still fixing us that we are going to fail. We are. But I think God has called us and, and equips us even in those moments where we don't succeed as much as we want to learn. As I was studying this last couple of weeks, getting ready for this message, I was kind of praying about it and I was kind of like, well, how do I end this? Because I don't want to be dishonest with people because there's be times where we don't always accomplish all that we wanted to do. And I was kind of praying about it and God put this in my heart and I never thought of it before. He said, Aaron, do you think that David never missed a lion? And I just stopped. I said, well, God, what do you mean? Do you think David never missed a lion? You think David, as a shepherd, came out first time. He had to learn. He had to work at it. He had to prepare. There were, there were, there were, I bet you, I don't know this for sure, but I bet you there were times that, that, that the lion won. 
I bet you there were times where he had to go to his dad and say, Dad, I'm sorry. One of the sheep got taken. But he learned from it. He got better. Because here's the thing. God wants to prepare you to fight those giants. And sometimes you're going to fail when it comes to maybe the lion or the, ty- or the, 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 lion or the, the bear. But God is going to use that if you'll let him to prepare you for the giants that really do need to fall. He's getting you ready. And that's okay. But the thing you can't do is you can't go, I miss the lion, I quit. I miss the lion, I can't. I miss the lion, what am I going to do? Because I guarantee you there are giants in your world that God wants to use you to take out. Listen, God didn't need David. Goliath comes up the first day. I defy the armies. Well, that was easy. But he doesn't. God wants to use us. God chooses to use us. But it's time, folks, in our world, in our community, in our families, to say, you know what? Some giant, it's time for some giants to fall. And that excuse of failure has got to die. Has got to die. What if I fail? Yeah. Here's what I know. If you never go to the battle, you for sure will. I am willing to trust God that with his help, I won't. Really, that's what David did. He said, God, I trust you. So let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we come to you right now. And Father, this whole series, as, as, we, as, as, we, as we look at all these things, and, and what we're going to be talking about next week and the following week, and, and all these things are, are, have been bubbling up in my heart. Because in my life, and I believe in other people's lives, we have a fear of failure. We have this fear that, that it's not going to be good enough or it's not going to be right enough, or, 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 or heaven forbid, the pastor won't like it, as, as ridiculous as that is. We have that fear at times. It won't be enough. I'll fail, and people will look at me, and they'll say mean things. And God, those things and that fear, it's time for it to die. It's time for us as your followers and as your people to understand that there are giants in the land. And you want to use us to take them out. But we won't do it cowering in fear back at the camp. We won't sit there doing it, talking about all the ills of the world with each other. It'll take brave and courageous men and women of God who will step up and say, listen, I know I don't have a sword. I know I might not have the strength, but God, with your help, I will go to the battle and I will be victorious because of you and because of your strength. But the day and the time of cowering at the camp needs to be over. Because our world is going to hell in a handbasket. Because there's Goliaths out there in our families and in our homes and in our workplaces and in our schools and our community that are taunting and saying, yeah, right. Yeah, there's no strength. There's no belief system. There's no this. There's no that. There's no right and wrong. And God, you have called us to stand up for you, stand up for those things and be able to take some giants out. 
God, with you, there is no failure. With your help, there's never failure. Things may not turn out the way we think they should, but God, you do not fail. And so we look to you for our strength. We look to you for our calmness and our peace so that we can look down our giants and say, you come against me with a sword and a spear, stupid little shield, but I come against you in the name of God who is powerful and strong, mighty and good, and you stand no chance because he will have the victory today. He will have the last word. Folks, listen, if you don't know this, let me give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. At the end, he wins. Okay? We win. And just like John said, we can pray and act and sing from victory because the victory has already been won. But it's time we start acting like it. So Father, help us. God, illuminate those things in our lives. Show us those giants, God, that we need to stand up and fight. Show us those things that we need to do. Prepare us. Show us those things that we need to do to prepare. Maybe it's not quite time yet, but God, you want to use the, the bears and the lions to prepare us for those things. You want to help us. And Father, more than anything, I believe throughout this series and out this month that you want to remove this fear of failure as far as the east is from the west from every person that's here. If we will let you, So we will stand in confidence knowing that we win, that we win.